Okay, we're, we're going to continue in our, um, our study of the book of Mark. We're looking at the life of Jesus um, and the, the question that's, um, the question that uh, is the overriding thing that links everything together is, who is Jesus? Um, and we've come to, we're in, now in Mark chapter 14. Um, and just as a, as a bit of background, the structure of Mark has been described as a bit like an express train rapidly traveling through the countryside. Um, and uh, for the first 10 chapters, covers three years of Jesus' ministry. Words like suddenly and amazing are some of Mark's favorite words. One story tumbles into the other and the pace is very quick. And then we come to chapter 11 and uh, the pace starts to slow down. It's like the train is slowly coming into the station as Mark, um, uh, as, the, as a story writer, is saying, we want to draw your attention to this. We're coming to the end. This is really important. This is where it's all being heading to. Um, but when, when we actually start reading through chapter 11, 12, 13, then 14, we actually realize actually the train isn't actually coming into station, but actually... Uh, the train is actually heading for a head-on collision with another train. There's a conflict all the way through the book of Mark that builds and builds and builds. And it's like uh, today's chapter in chapter 14. It's like a slow-motion movie of the first of that collateral damage, of that collision as these two trains collide. And the collision is between two kingdoms. There's the kingdom that Jesus is setting up on earth, the kingdom uh, predicated on love, and then there's the kingdom of this world, the kingdom that's predicated on the fact that love of self, where I'm at the center, what I want, I get. And these two kingdoms uh, are increasingly coming into conflict as the leaders, the religious leaders, the lawyers, and the, the priests challenge Jesus. They challenge about what he's saying. How can you say that? They challenge his very authority. Who do you think you are coming around here saying these things? Uh, but underneath all is the, is the conflict, is the challenge of these two kingdoms who are going to clash big style. And Jesus is all too very well, very aware of that clash and of that conflict externally and internally because we come to the part of the story where Jesus gets betrayed. So our theme is betrayal. It's amazing how much literature, music, um, plays, theatre, whatever, revolves around telling the story of people being betrayed, of coping with betrayal. Uh, our family, we've just finished uh, watching two series of Designated Survivor on Netflix. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not going to give anything, anything away, but what kept us hooked really was the fact that every so often someone was revealed to be uh, in a sort of working against the government, the new government that had been set up. And there's different characters at the time. You're like, oh, shock, what's going to happen? What are going to be the repercussions? Of course, the, the writers of these things know what drives us as human beings. We're interested in, in betrayal. And in songs, um, classic songs like uh, You Give Love a Bad Name. Who sung that? Anyone? Bon Jovi, yeah. Thank you, Amy. Another one for you, another classic. I heard it through the grapevine. Different era. Marvin, yes, yeah. Another classic, Lion Eyes. 
Yep, eagles. Oh, excellent. I knew there'd be people who'd know these. All about betrayal. A bit more recent ones, just so that um, uh, people younger than me aren't, uh, don't feel. Cry me a river. Yeah. Take, take a bow. Rihanna, oh, look, you're good, you're good. Anyway, five random songs. Do you know what? Music's not my thing. I just did this for this morning. I had to search on the internet. I had no idea. <laughs> I was just like, top ten songs about betrayal. It's great. Okay. But betrayal, what, what is it about betrayal? It gets to the, the heart of what we are as human beings in a very sort of negative way. We can all relate to it. And so let's get into our, our, our passage in Mark 14. So Jesus has just had... Um, celebrated the Passover supper with his disciples and uh, they're just heading out to the Mount of Olives where in verse 27 we pick up the story and Jesus says to them as they're walking to the Mount of Olives you will all fall away Jesus told them for it is written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered but after I have risen I will go ahead of you into Galilee Peter declared even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him. Uh, With him was a, a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind him. Um, I've got one overriding message this morning, and that's that Jesus, the betrayed, remains faithful. 
So if you have a tendency to doze off at this point, I've got you, I've already got a message in. Jesus the betrayed remains faithful. And I want to explore that in three different ways. Um, the first one is that Jesus remains faithful. He, he's in the middle of being betrayed, but he remains faithful to his followers. If we have a quick review of the story, the disciples desert him without comment. The Judas betrays him with a kiss, and Peter disowns him with a kiss, with a curse. Sorry. And at that point, it would be the easiest thing in the world for Jesus just to walk away and give up. I don't know how you react to being overlooked, to being uh, denied that position that you were deserved, to um, have no acknowledgement of the things that you, your accomplishments and the things that you've achieved, to even be betrayed, to have your heart broken have your trust trampled underfoot? Do you attack? Many of us just attack the other person, give as good as we take you, good for nothing, and we get angry. Some of us, this is my big one, we retreat, just not going there. I'm not investing anymore. I'm just going to absent myself from the relationship. I'm just going to deny that that was ever important to me. Walk away, keep silent move on, bury it. Or maybe you judge. You start the gospel. See, never liked him anyway. I always thought he was a bit flaky. You know, I never liked his hair anyway. Or maybe revenge, payback. And this is where a lot of our literature, movies, and songs come into play. We're revenge. I'm going to get back on them. And in reading this passage, I just find that Jesus takes a completely different way He knows that Judas is betraying him. And yet, he invites him to the Passover meal. The Passover meal was a family occasion. It was your most intimate and close friends and family got together to celebrate the Passover meal. It was the identity-defining moment in terms of the religion for the the Jews. They reminded themselves of their identity-defining Exodus from Egypt. This was crucial and so intimate. And yet Jesus invites Judas. And in the middle of that meal, he shares bread. To share bread, to give hospitality in this culture, in the Middle East and throughout the world today, is you're saying, you're inviting, you're my friend. We trust, we have, a, we have an agreement of trust with one another. And it actually says Jesus dips bread in the wine and offers it. The Jews, in the moment where in Judas's heart, he's already betrayed him. He's got an arrangement. And in the, the midst of this story, the, the authorities have been upset. Jerusalem, um, Jerusalem is a busy place. So Jesus has been going in, doing his public events, and then retreating out of Jerusalem, going into the countryside to stay with friends in the countryside at night. And so um, Jesus is trying to avoid certain conflict. He's trying to avoid this moment because it's not the right time. And so at Passover time, he can't do that. He can't go out to some friend's place in the countryside. So they end up with many other people going into the Garden of Gethsemane to spend the night, to keep down for the night. 
Jerusalem only had so many uh, bed, beds for the night. There was loads of people coming to celebrate Passover. It's a bit like Edinburgh Festival. Rooms just weren't to be had. And so, like many people, they would just go into the, the edge of the city, maybe light a fire, and just keep down under the stars. A bit strange for us. So in that setting, Jesus was a bit vulnerable. And so he's feeling this deep inner conflict. He's feeling the, the weight and the pain of being betrayed. And so he just says to the disciples, can you just keep watch? Can you just pray for me? And they don't. They fall asleep. And even then, Jesus is the one who keeps watch and prays. And he's the one that points out to the disciples, look, my betrayers are here. So even at that moment, the disciples have let him, let him down and he's still looking out for them. And Jesus, in the midst of saying, look, you're all going to desert me. Verse 28, it says, after I've, I've arisen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Even though you're going to desert me, you and me, we have a future and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to be there in Galilee when this is all over. He's thinking of the disciples. When I get into sort of a state where, where things are not going well with me, I just close into myself. I'm not thinking about anyone. I'm just thinking about me. Jesus does the complete opposite. He thinks about us in his moment of, uh, of deepest betrayal. He loves unconditionally. He loves without expecting anything in return. He just loves and loves and loves. I find that amazing. And I know in the clash of these kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Jesus, there's always collateral damage. In this world, when people are pursuing their own needs and their own wants and their own desires, other people around them get caught in the crossfire. They become collateral damage. And if we're going to do community together, some of us are going to get caught in the collateral damage. We will feel let down and betrayed. In the workplace, when people are pursuing their own career, we'll get caught in the collateral damage and we'll feel betrayed. But so did Jesus. So when we're thinking about who Jesus is, Jesus is the one who knows what betrayal is like. He knows it from the inside. He's felt it. He didn't come as some Superman hero to pluck us out of this world. He came right into this world, experienced it, experienced those relationships, experienced those broken relationships, experienced brokenheartedness. So that when we come to him, we know that we're coming to someone who knows what it's like. We're coming to someone not only who knows what it's like, but he suffered that, but remained faithful to his followers. Jesus is a safe place to come with our broken hearts and our letdowns and all the baggage that we carry. So if that's you today, come to Jesus. He is safe, he is a safe place to bring your hurt and your betrayals. So Jesus was betrayed yet faithful to his followers. And I want to look at the, the heart of this passage and I think we'll come to this now. In verses 32 to 36, he was betrayed yet he was faithful to his father. And we come to those verses 
And in these verses, I think, is the secret of how was it that Jesus could do that? How could he look up beyond his own awful inner turmoil and betrayal and love like he loved? And I think the verses 32 to 36 give us the answer. What does he do there? When he's facing this, he says, I can't take it. This is, it feels like I'm going to die. The inner emotional turmoil, the inner battle. What does he go? What does he do? He goes and prays. He goes to his father. He flings himself on the ground. I've got nothing else. I've got nowhere else to go to. The full weight of his life he puts down right before the father. Abba, father, he cries. If it's possible, can you take this cup from me? Yet not what I will, but, you, but, you, but what you will. It's a classic temptation. Just a little side bit before we look at that prayer. Jesus has been here before, right at the beginning of Mark's gospel. He was tempted by the devil. He was tempted exactly on the same lines. Matthew and Luke explore that in a bit more detail. He was tempted to turn bread and uh, stones into bread to satisfy his own needs. He was tempted to go down the route of fame, do a spectacular miracle and everyone will follow you. He was tempted to worship another, to worship the ruler of the kingdom of darkness instead of worshiping the Father. He was tempted to take an easy route, an easier route to establishing his kingdom on earth. And he didn't give in then. And I think he's been tempted along the same lines now. This guy, is there another way this suffering, there must be another way to save the world, to love this world. Can you take this, this future from me? Can you take this cup from me? So it's a classic temptation. Is there an easier way? But in coming to the Father, I think in that short prayer, there's several things we can tell about Jesus and about how to love like Jesus loved. the first thing that he comes to father he calls him Abba father this is a relationship this isn't a distant remote almighty being that he's coming to this is in the family this is a family relationship he knows the father he calls him Abba father Abba is the Aramaic sometimes people translate that as dad and it has a bit of that sense it's a name that would ring around the rooms of the homes around Jerusalem and in Palestine Little children would come to their fathers, Abba, Abba. But it has more respect than our word dad. It, it, the Aramaic seems to hold on to these two things, intimacy and respect and trust. It seems to hold on to those in, the, in, the call, in, the, in that name. And he trusts them, all things are possible. I still trust, this is what you're calling me to do. I don't like it, I don't understand it, but I trust you. All things are possible with you. So he comes to his father, knows that he'll listen, knows that he's the stable person to come to. And he's completely honest. He brings his innermost feelings. I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. Bringing everything before the father. There's nothing that he doesn't hold back. There's nothing that he holds back. He brings in complete honesty. And he's vulnerable, but he knows that the Father is a safe place. He still trusts. And when things are going terrible, when we're being betrayed and let down, but we come to the Father, 
Jesus is stepping into a rich tradition. That's what he was brought up in. And we have the Psalms, which was his prayer book. 60% of the Psalms are laments, prayers of going, everything's going horribly wrong, but I'm bringing it all before you, God. And he's already quoted one of those Psalms in Psalm 41, where he, he says, even my close friend, someone I trust is one who shared the bread, he has turned against me. Jesus is quoting a Psalm. That Psalm is in the back of his back of his mind. Earlier on in that psalm he says, my enemy saved me in malice. When will, you, when will he die and his name perish? When one, when one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander and then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying a vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Jesus is doing... Uh, He's stepping into a huge, long tradition of being completely honest before the Father. Bringing everything to him. The next thing about that prayer is he persists. He doesn't just come once and hope for an instant answer. Prayer isn't a sort of cause-effect thing. It isn't like dialing a pizza and it comes within a matter of minutes. He persists. He goes back three times. He goes to pray the same prayer. Because prayer isn't just something that I do to get something. We're developing a relationship with the Father. This is about an intimate, close relationship with Father God. And so he keeps going back and he keeps going back. You don't get to know someone and say, well, I know that person, I've had a conversation with them. Great. You have more conversations. You get to know them and you get to know their depth. You get to know what they ticks. You get to know all their quirks and foibles. So this is what Jesus is doing. He persists in that prayer. And I think he's, he's, he's um, also basing this. In his moment of need, he immediately turns to the Father because he's in the habit of doing that. He has developed a rhythm of going to the Father, of developing that relationship over time. It isn't just a sort of, I'll get into a tricky, a tricky moment and then I'll pray. If you live your life like that, you'll miss out on a deep, intimate relationship with the Father. But you know what? In your deepest hour of need, sometimes people don't turn to the Father. Joe Simpson, famous climber, um, who uh, his friend had to cut him on the road, he was dangling from a rope, he had an accident and his friend couldn't rescue him so his friend decided to rescue himself, cut the rope and he fell, landed in a crevasse and it was days he dragged himself over a glacier and, and survived but in that, in that book if you read that he says no, not once did I cry out to God. He was a man who had turned, him, turned his back on God, he was pursuing his own way and in his moment of need no, he didn't cry out to the Father. He looked at his own resources only. And to think that, well, it, just when things get tough, I'll, I'll go to God there. No, Jesus had developed a rhythm of regularly coming to the Father so that when he did need the, the security of that relationship, it was there. And he waits for an answer. Now, the answer that Jesus gets is no, there isn't another way, but it's an answer. And I think... Jesus takes that answer and says, okay, there's no other way. I trust the Father. He knows better than me. He follows the way of obedience. And if we're going to follow the way of obedience of following Jesus, we need 
to have the security of that intimate relationship with the Father. We're at those times where it is hard. We say, I'd rather just give it all up. I'd rather just not bother. It's too much time pressure. It's too, it's too much. The relationships are too complicated. At those times where we need to obey when the easiest thing would be just to give it all up. We need the security of that relationship with the Father as Jesus had. It's interesting, the last time Jesus was tempted, the beginning of the book of Mark, God had spoken these words to him. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And I think there's a hint in the way Mark tells his story that when Jesus comes and says, Abba, Father, that actually part of the answer when he kept going back, Abba, Father, you're my father. I trust you as my father. That sense of calling returned, that sense of who Jesus was returned to him. I am the son. I am the son. That's who I am. I'm learning to do this. I'm a learner, a disciple of Jesus. I don't get it right. Sometimes my rhythm goes all awry, but I try and have a rhythm regular. I want to pursue this deep, intimate relationship with the Father. And recently, we had some unexpected news in our family, um, and so we've, we've been living in our home for about 10 years, long-term rental, renting off a, of a friend of ours, and it was going to continue for another few years until she retires, but her circumstances have changed. And out of the blue, I got an email, you're going to have to get out of your house thinking, right, that's not good. Kids in school, where we're going to live, trying to get a deposit together, not enough time. So after panicking for a bit, I just, no, let's, let's bring this to the Father. So persistently, matter of a week, just, Father, you, you've always provided for us. The first thing he said to me was to be thankful for our home. We've had a home for 10 years. That's amazing. What a provision. But as I just, we kept just laying that before the Father. There's one day I just came read through Ruta, just lay the day before him. And it was like tangibly, it was like someone sitting down beside me on my sofa, putting their arm around me. And it, it was like I could have sworn there was someone else in the room. I could have, someone put their arm around me. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was Jesus. And he didn't say anything. But I know that he's with me. I know that I'm not alone in this situation. And the anxiety and the fear of the future and all that, it's gone. Yeah, I'm, I still have to pursue what's the rental market like now and what's, the, what's the, the buying market like. And yeah, I still need to do all that, but I'm doing it of a place knowing the Father is with me. Last point. Jesus betrayed. Jesus was betrayed, yet he remains faithful to his mission. He sees it through. In that moment, he says, yes, I'm going I'm to obey the Father. I'm going to do this. And I think this story has a bit where this story is also about us. When it comes to verse uh, 50, it says, then everyone deserted him and fled. He stops talking about the disciples, he says, then everyone fled, everyone deserted and fled. And I think Mark's, what, what Mark's doing is trying to draw us in. Everyone, 
deserted and fled. We have all gone our own way. We've all been in that place where we've been the betrayer, where we've been the denier and the disowner. Humanity's place, that's where we were. And I don't think it's an accident. Gethsemane is a garden. There's a temptation. Will you trust the Father or will you go your own way? Does it, does it ring a bell? There's even a naked guy. The Garden of Eden. And what Jesus does, he comes to the point of temptation. He resists the temptation for us. And he makes a way for us. The betrayed takes on the punishment of the betrayer. And we get in on it. It's interesting that Paul picks up this exact phrase, Abba, Father, in Romans 8, verse 15 and 16. It says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The same spirit of Jesus who resisted temptation has been given to us. The same spirit has been given to us so that we can pray, lay the whole weight of our lives on the Father so that we have strength for the task that we've given, been given. Where actually we become sons and daughters of the Father. We exchange the heritage of the betrayer for the inheritance of true sons and daughters. I don't know if you ever watched that thing on, on TV, Who Do You Think You Are? It's about tracing family trees. It's a lot of blank faces. Maybe it's only me. Okay. Uh, but basically, famous people sort of does the story of them tracing their, their heritage, their, their ancestors, the things they didn't know about. It's amazing how many sort of take pictures from, you know, even oil paintings from years ago, and you're like, well, there's family resemblances. Oh, wow. You know, there's, there's features probably in my family. would be like a strong male nose, probably. Um, but other things, actors thought they were the first actor in their family. They go back a couple of generations. Oh, there was a performer in my family. It's amazing. And what Jesus is saying, your inheritance, your heritage, wait, you've got a new family line now. You're in the line of me, of Jesus the one who was betrayed yet remained faithful. That's our new inheritance. And I suppose the fact that Jesus was betrayed and yet remained faithful to his mission, I suppose is a challenge for us as well. Just as Jesus didn't just come down and swoop us, take us to heaven, he came down and lived amongst us, amongst the brokenness and betrayal of this world. So he calls us, that's where he calls us to, to live amongst this same brokenness where people are betrayed and where people betray. And it's a scary place to live, but it's why in this church we have communities because we want people scattered all over this city to rub shoulders with your work colleagues, to develop close relationships with them, to develop close relationships with your neighbors and your friends, to be there with them in their pain, 
and their brokenness and their betrayal. And you know what? It's a bit scary because in, in the process you'll be let down and you'll be betrayed. And the people that you've invested in, some of them will just walk away and not want anything to do with Jesus. But if Jesus, if the way of Jesus' mission was this way, then I think he's calling us to do mission in the same way. A mission where we, with Jesus in the midst of the overwhelming brokenness of this world, he gets on his knees, falls on his face to the Father and prays. It's the only place we can pray. During the 9.15 this morning, during the prayers of intercession, there was a siren really loud outside. And I was like, isn't it great in this church where we get the location of this church while we're praying, we can hear the sounds of a broken city behind us. That's a good, it's a good reminder of that. So next time your prayers are disturbed by the sirens, just remember that. But it goes beyond that. It goes rubbing shoulders with the refugees who are betrayed by their leaders, rubbing shoulders by the many people of all ages who have been betrayed by the lies of consumer culture that says they can have all that they want, but then they get into crippling debt. We need to rub shoulders with these people and pray alongside them on our knees so that we can bring the real pain and brokenness of the city before God. And I'm so proud to be in a church where you're doing that. I can look around here and I know there's people praying for people, getting to know neighbors, getting to know people that are broken, that are in debt. Um, and it's because it's what Jesus is about. So I suppose that last challenge is, do you know do you know who the betrayed and broken are in your street or neighborhood or, or workplace? Are you praying with them in their brokenness? And there's opportunity. There's connect corner. If you're, you're not connected in, you need to be. There's opportunity later to connect. With, to, how, can, how, can I, how can I do that? Well, we're going to come to communion. And uh, we're going to remember when the, the betrayed took the place of the betrayers, where he gave his life, where Jesus gave his life for us.